0: I'm not sure how I feel about this one, folks. Wheel of Time, episode number five. The episode was great, don't get me wrong, but they finally got around to introducing Loyal. And, well, the guy playing him, Hamid Amanishan, has the character down pat. I got nothing against him. He's doing a phenomenal job. But the look of Loyal, the hair, the beard, I just don't know. I just don't know. <laughs> Hello and welcome to The Streaming Fool, the podcast that eats peanut butter straight from the jar. I'm your host, my name is Steven, and today I'm going to want to talk to you about The Wheel of Time, Episode 5. But before I do, I need y'all to do a favor for me. If you're listening to this episode on Apple Podcasts and you've not done so yet, please rate the show for me, for me, please. It's really easy, pick a star, one through five, one being the worst and five being the best. That's it. Tap it. Bam. Done. Did you do it? <laughs> Did you stop the show and go and do it? Great. Let's get into things then. Episode five of The Wheel of Time is entitled Blood Calls Blood. It was published on Amazon Prime on Friday, December the 3rd, and Wikipedia has this to say about it. Moraine and the other Aes Sedai Barry Karene, and her warder Stepan mourns. The group makes a month-long journey back to Tarvalon and the White Tower. Rand and Matt arrive at Tarvalon, and Rand grows increasingly concerned with Matt's behavior. Lan and Moraine bring Nynaeve to the White Tower and warn her of Isidai's political machinations. Perrin and Egwene and the Tinkers are waylaid by the White Cloaks who capture and interrogate them. Rand meets Loyal in Ogier. Loghain Ablar is paraded around Tarvalin in a cage by Alana and Leandrin. Matt makes Rand swear that he'll kill him before he gets as bad as Loghain. Lan and the other warders console Steppen as he returns, and he ceremonially returns Karane's ring. Valda suspects that Egwene can channel, and he tortures Perrin to try and coax the power out of her. Steppen asks Nynaeve for herbs to help him sleep, and Leandrin maneuvers around Moraine to entice Nynaeve. Loyal reunites Nynaeve with Matt and Rand, and they express concern for Perrin and Egwene. After interrogation and torture, Egwene and Perrin escape, thanks to her channeling and the help of wolves. Leandrin confronts Moraine about Nynaeve. Moraine and Alana discuss Steppen's mental state after Karane's death. Alana warns Moraine of both Leandrin's motives and the impending return of Siwan Sanche, the Omerlin seat. Lan further consoles Stepan, but is tricked into drinking the herbs Stepan got from Nynaeve, which puts him to sleep. Lan then finds Stepan, who is dead by suicide. Lan serves as the primary mourner at Stepan's funeral, deeply moving Moraine and Nynaeve. So, whoever wrote that description, uh, obviously they didn't have a lot of time. The episode just got up uh, uh, on Friday. And uh, yeah, but still, they might as well have just bullet pointed it. It's it's a paragraph, but each sentence reads as a bullet point. It's just a list of stuff that happened and it doesn't flow very well. So uh, I give you a, a, a three out of 10 on that description, whoever you are. But I rather enjoyed this episode. We start almost immediately following what happened in episode four and the Aes Sedai Along with the Warders and Nynaeve are burying those that died fighting Loghain's army, which again really wasn't much of an army. But then the the nice thing here is that we see the the Aes Sedai and the Warders, they're not only burying their friends, they're also burying their enemies. Or at least the king of Gildon. Uh, Gildan, he is he's being buried as well. All of these graves are rather shallow. I'm I don't understand why. Well, I mean you can see that it's the middle of winter. There's it's it's really kind of cool. You get an aerial shot and all the graves are dug in a in a circular, almost pattern like fashion. And the ground around there there's snow on the ground except for around the circle where the graves are. The the snow seems to have been melted. Now I don't know if an Aes Sedai is powerful enough to heat the ground deep enough that digging a grave in the winter would be easy. But I have to assume the reason why they they dug such shallow graves is because of the frozen ground. And then, I'm again, I'm guessing they're either going to pile stones on top of them or maybe as part of the ritual, which they don't show. I would assume they would show it. Uh, maybe the Aes Sedai uh, set them aflame before they leave. We don't know. They, I mean, they don't really show us if there's any real ceremony, other than the fact that, um, Alana is singing uh, like a some kind of funeral song. Uh, the Sedai are carrying candles, which uh, Moraine places on Karene's chest. Uh, when Stepan carries Karene's body and puts her in her grave, he takes her ring from her finger and puts it on a you know a leather cord around his neck. Um, but. After that, we don't we don't know what they do, what the what the what you know, whether there's any kind of further ritual or not. But from there, we jump ahead. They they give us a time jump one month into the future. Uh, and at that point, we are now the, the Aes Sedai and Nineve. They're now riding into Tar of So it's taken them a month to get there and um we check in with uh, after rand or blah, shimida, blah i can't speak after moraine Lan, uh Nynaeve and the rest of the warders and Aes Sedai go into Tar-Valon. we see rand and matt approaching with a, a like you know just a, there's obviously just a constant stream of people going in and out of the city and uh rand and matt are part of that rand uh, looks up at the city and his eyes are drawn to a mountain, which for some reason, he looks at the He's just drawn to this mountain. He he feels like he's seen it before. And the two of them go up onto this outlook, this outcropping of rock. And they look at the mountain and then they look at the city. Uh, there's a moment as they are uh, walking the road with the other people that a little boy gets close to Matt and Matt nearly reaches out and and knocks the boy down. He kind of yells at him for getting too close and so you know it's very obvious that whatever is happening to matt it's not good it's it's you know the they are postulating in the series that he has he's the he's the dragon that's who they want us to you know that's who they're really pushing in front of us that it's matt um and that uh he has learned he's he's able to channel he's able to touch the true source and now he's going mad because of it and tom when he told rand that you know, that's what he suspected is happening to Matt. When Tom told him that, he told him that we need to keep him away from Aes Sedai, and yet they're going straight into Tarvalon. Granted, they know that Egwene and Perrin and Nynaeve are supposed to be there. So really they're I think they're there just to meet their friends. Because when they go, they don't go straight to the White Tower. There's a an inn that Tom had told them about that a friend of his is the proprietor of, and they go to this inn. And, uh, that's where they, I think I'll just tell Rand and Matt's story first here. That's where they meet, um, Loyal, uh, or at least Rand does. And Rand goes into the library of the inn and he's looking at books. And then Loyal hears him, hears him looking for books. And he, 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 he walks into the room and introduces himself. And Rand immediately thinks, uh, it's some kind of monster, but he is an ogier and Rand has heard of ogier before. Uh, now here's the thing with this character. Uh, Loyal is one of my favorite characters of the books. I'm not going to go into stuff about the books during this segment of the show, but he's one of my favorite characters. He's one of the, he's pretty much the character I was looking forward to most. Now, based on the way, uh, the character was portrayed in the books, especially the way Michael Kramer, uh, read, uh, as Loyal in the audiobooks, uh, this guy who is portraying Loyal. I'm gonna try to pronounce his name again here real quick. Hamond Anamashan. He's he's excellent. He's spot on. He is, he's got the deep voice, he's got the inflection, he's got the cadence, he's got the mannerisms. Loyal is basically a well, he's supposed to be. Well, I'm not gonna get into that. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give it give away anything from the books. But based on the books, the mannerisms the character of this, of of Loyal. Hammond has got it down pat. He's spot on. Like I said, he's doing it. He's doing a darn good job. The look of the character, however, <sighs> not that, I don't know. I think I'm going to have to see more. I think I'm going to have to, you know, see more of him on screen in other episodes. And maybe I'll I'll get used to it because it's not quite what it is, you know, what I pictured based on his description in the book. And this isn't really giving anything away, but in the books, Loyal is uh, twice as tall uh, as a regular human being. He's a huge freaking dude. And that's all Ogiers are. And uh, I understand that they can't really do that in this show, not without spending a lot of money. I mean, they could, but this was probably a cheaper option. But I don't know. I just, I, the hair and the beard, it's just, it was... It was a little shocking. I was not expecting it. I knew when when you hear you hear his voice first and I'm like, "Oh crap, here we go. Here's my boy." And he's he's sitting in another room like on the other side of a wall next to a doorway. And he says something and right away I'm like, "Oh yeah, here we go." And he gets up and he walks into the room and I was just like, "What? <laughs> what is that? That is ridiculous looking." Now, he doesn't get a lot of screen time in this show. The more he was on screen though, the more I got just I, just a bit used to it. but I think I think if he had spent more time in this episode, I probably would have been okay with him by the end. so we'll see um he he will he he will more than likely be a part of the next few episodes so we'll we'll see we'll see how I think about him after that if this This Haman guy, uh, you know, obviously he's got the character down, so he may just win me over just because of his acting. He may win me over so much that the way the character looks isn't going to make any difference to me. And I've heard other reactions that were quite similar, and many of them were saying how shocked they were and how ridiculous he looked. But then when they watched rewatched the episode, it felt more natural, so... You know, again, maybe the more I get loyal in this show, the 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 more I'll get used to it. But anyway, so Rand and Matt end up sitting in a big, you know, on like a like a wall uh, watching as Leandrin and Alana parade Loghain through the streets of Tarvalon. He has, if you remember, he's been gentled as of the last issue issue. I keep doing that. I keep mixing up my podcasts. Issue is for comics. Episode is for TV in the last episode, he was gentled. So he's just basically a lump. I mean, he's just so depressed that he just lays in his cage. In fact, when they bring him into Tarvalon, he's sitting on a horse and they just have a rope around his neck like a leash. And he's just like a lump. He's just like, oh, I don't care, whatever. Do with me what you will. I can't touch the true source anymore. I might as well not continue living. But when they bring him through the streets of Tarvalon to show everybody, we have captured. The false dragon. He is no longer a threat. He's back in his cage, but he's just kind of laying there. And the people of Tarvalon are throwing, you know, produce at him, lettuce and tomatoes and beets and radishes. And and at one point he looks up. He he's immediately his attention is immediately drawn to Rand and Matt. And it's Matt that he appears to be staring at, uh, because Matt and just focuses in on him and Loghain just starts to laugh, uh and then they and then he passes by, and uh Matt tells Rand he goes, You have to promise me something. I don't care what the prophecy says, I don't care about anything else, but if I'm the one who can channel, do not let me turn out like that. You do something first and he you know he doesn't come right out and say it, but if you read between the between the lines, he's saying, Kill me before I get like that' And Rand agrees and he says, and of course, I trust that you'll do the same for me. And Matt says, you bet. Uh, now, before, one thing I, I didn't, I, I failed to point out is uh, Matt got up onto this wall before Rand. Rand is down on the street and he sees Matt up on the wall and he goes to climb up after him. And in the background, I honestly probably wouldn't know, have noticed it if the dude didn't laugh and I didn't have the captions on. Because the captions pointed out that this guy in the background was laughing, and I'm like, "Why what what?" And I, I rewound because I was like, "Why did they point that out? There's something about that that I feel like I need to see there's There's a moment where Rand is standing uh, on one side of the street, and in the back as as he leaves the the shot, there's a guy in the background. There's a lot of people in the shot, a lot of extras, but there's one particular guy in the background. It's like he's sitting in a at a table at an outdoor pub almost. And he kind of laughs and then walks off screen. And I realize, holy crap, that's Pad and Fane. We haven't seen him since episode one. Well, I don't know if that's true. I watched a video where a dude said that's the second time he's seen Padden Fane. And I assume he meant since the episode. And it's it's was highly hinted in episode one that Pad and Fane had something to do with the fades and the Trollocs coming to Emmons Field on winter night because if you remember in that first episode, he was standing there by a building drinking, you know, mead or ale or whatever out of a out of a mug, and the attack starts, and he's just watching. He 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 doesn't seem concerned, and he kind of (laughs) goes like that and dumps his mug out and walks away calmly, like like he he expected all this to happen. So now he's shown up in Tarvalon, and that's a bit curious. Um but that's about all of Rand and Map that I can recall. Egwene uh, and Perrin's story in this is was really hard to watch. They are approaching Tarvalon. They're in the the uh, the the company of the Tuatha on, the Tinkers, and they are in the back. They're like in the back of the line, the 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 convoy of wagons, and they're back there with A Ram, and the 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 convoy stops and they kind of hear some shouting. And they, they they look around one of the wagons and they see that at the head of the line blocking their path are the uh, the white cloaks, Emmon Valda and the white cloaks. And uh, Valda looks up and he sees Perrin and Egwene, and he immediately remembers them from it was either the first or second episode when they were leaving um, Emmon's field and making their way to Whitebridge. They were nearing Whitebridge, and they ran across you know the whole group, Moraine, Lan, Rand. Perrin, Matt, Egwene, and they, they ran into the, the white cloaks with Eminvalda. and uh, Valda. So immediately he sees them and he wants to talk to them. But the the tinkers won't let them. So, no, you cannot talk to him. And Eman kind of laughs and he goes, really? You're pacifists. What are you going to do to stop me? And then all of these tinkers just link arms and form like a wall of people four feet deep or four, four rows of people, four people deep. And, uh, it was this moment where you're just like, okay, all right. You know, it's a uh, protest. Um, how do they, what, how do they call that? It's a, now I can't even remember. Somebody's, somebody's, uh, yelling at their, at their phone or their iPod right now. Um, nonviolent protest, basically. Um, they're not going to fight back, but they're, they're going to stand there and, and, uh, not let the white cloaks through the white cloaks. However, they're like, nah, we're not going to, we're not going to, uh, just sit here and, and let that happen. So they just start slapping and punching fricking tinkers and knocking them to the ground and forcing their way through. Cause you know, what do they care They're They know that the Tuatawan are not going to fight back. And so Aram is in, in, in the way back in the back of the convoy with Perrin and Egwene. And he says, come on, we got to go. Let's get you out of here. And, and they're sneaking through the forest. And Egwene at one point is like, we can't let them, you know, leave them to the white cloaks. And Aram says, uh, Basically, that look. The white cloaks are not good people, but even they won't kill a tinker. And so they're running through the forest. But the the white cloaks had anticipated this, and they sent out a few riders to stop them. And they knock Aram to the ground, and they capture Perrin and Egwene. And then there's just this uncomfortable scene where they they strip Egwene naked, and they're they're washing her with like at first. They're scrubbing her like her neck and her shoulders with a very stiff bristled brush. It's just this rough brush with these. You could just tell it like a horse brush or something. It looks like it. Freaking hurts. And they're not even using water. And then then they start put you know pouring water on her and washing her off. And they're they're violently just violently combing out her hair and cleaning under her nails. And then they they place a, a white dress on her. And then they basically tie her to a fricking chair. So it's like, you have to be clean in the eyes of God or the light, as they say it, before we can interrogate you. Well, once she's tied to the chair, they bring in Perrin and they tie him uh, like standing up, arched over this wooden platform so that his, his back is up in the air. And Emin Valda basically says to Eg- Egwene, look, I know uh, you're not, he he just straight up asks, "Are you an nice And She says, "No." And he goes, "Okay, I know that you're not because if you were, you wouldn't be able to lie. Uh, but I do know that you can channel, and you're going to prove that to me because uh, nobody is going to be able to convince anybody in the Children of the Light that the one power is it comes from the dark. It's not. It doesn't come from the light. It comes from the dark. And once you prove to me that you're that you can channel, I'm going to kill you. And she's like, "I I can't channel. I'm not. I'm you know." Whatever. And, and he goes, All right. So he goes over to Perrin and he rips open the back of his shirt and starts, he takes a knife and starts slicing up the back, you know, Perrin's back and he's screaming. And the first time he cuts into him, we see a close up of Perrin's face and he just roars in pain and his eyes immediately go yellow, which is kind of weird. And uh, so Emin Valda slices him up a bit and then he tells Egwene, All right, here's what we're going to do. Uh I'm going to give you guys some time to decide which one of you I'm going to kill basically. You're either going to admit that you can channel and I will kill you or you can continue to tell me that you don't channel and I'm going to kill the boy, parent. And he says uh either way one of you is going to die. You guys decide which one it's going to be and he leaves. Um and Perrin basically tells, Perrin's like, you know, they're both like, well, I'm the one who's going to die. You, you've you got to go free. And Perrin insists that he's the one that needs to die because he killed his wife. Now, now, Gwaine at this point still thinks that Perrin feels like, feels guilty because he couldn't save his wife. But then he admits to her what actually happened. And after he's done telling her the story, uh, eventually Valda comes back in and he's like, all right, what's it going to be? And she doesn't say anything. And he goes, okay, here I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna torture your friend to death. The only way you can stop me from torturing him is to channel. Once you channel, I will stop torturing him and he'll go free. But I'm gonna kill you if you don't channel. You. I will kill him and then you go free. And so he starts to. He he, he starts to cut into Perrin and then Egwene tells Perrin that it wasn't his fault what happened to his wife and he's the one that should go free. And then she star- starts trying to channel. And Perrin, of course, is very upset, tells her, no, don't do this, Egwene. And there's this moment where she just, you can see the power building up within her. And it glides down her hand and a flame appears in her hand. And then she th- kind of throws it at Valda and it strikes him in the chest. But it's like this little tiny flame and it just kind of goes poof and puffs out when it hits his chest. It was a really womp womp moment. And so he's like, all right, here we go. You can channel, I'm gonna kill you now. And so he turns to her and he's basically telling her that, you know, that was a pretty weak channel. I was pretty sad, you know, what you did. That was pretty, pretty, you know, you should be embarrassed. And uh, but as he's saying this, she's actually channeling fire into Perrin's ropes. And she frees Perrin. He stands up to full height. He is a big dude, and just that alone kind of backs Valda down. But then Perrin starts growling. And his eyes are just bright yellow. And Valda just, he craps his pants at that point. And he's like, oh my God, what are you? And uh, I think they just knock him out at that point. Oh no, uh, Egwene comes up behind him and stabs him in the back. And he falls to the ground and they they run outside. And they find that the entire encampment of white cloaks are being attacked by wolves. And uh, which was a really nice moment. And because there's, there's, just before she frees Perrin, you can hear wolves howling in the distance. And so they're out there and their they're wolves are running here and there and they're they're killing white cloaks and a white cloak stands in front of them and tries to stop them. And a wolf jumps on them and, and pulls them to the ground and, you know, kills them. And then they make their way toward the horses and there's a wolf standing by the horses and it's just standing there growling and they freeze. And Perrin just tells Egwene, it won't hurt us. And she goes, how do you know? And the wolf approaches them, and then just runs on by. And that's their story in this episode. So obviously, there's something, there's something going on with Perrin and wolves. This is not. This is the third time now in five episodes that uh, Perrin has been linked with wolves, and now his eyes can glow yellow, and he was growling at one point like a wolf. So I guess we'll find out hopefully what that's all about in the next couple of episodes. Um, and then back to, uh, to, to the white tower. So Nynaeve, um, well, at one point, I guess, uh, we go back to Rand and Matt because Loyal, uh, shows up in their room at the inn, and he tells, uh, Rand that as an Ogier, he is free to walk the grounds, uh, of the white tower. And so after Rand had described Nynaeve to him, he went to the white tower and he found her. And he brought her back and there's Nynaeve and Rand tells her that, that Matt is sick and she, she comes to to look at him and Matt snaps at her and you know, like he's about to kill her, and then he realizes, you know, that that, you know, he he, he comes to his senses and so then Rand and Nynaeve and are outside in the hall and they're they're having this heart to heart and he's he's telling her that, that that he thinks that Matt can channel and he doesn't know what to do and And uh, Nynaeve says that she'll do what she can to heal him. And then she tells this story about when Egwene was a little girl and Nynaeve was the apprentice to the wisdom in Emmons Field. Nynaeve had uh, gotten sick with something that they call uh, bone break fever, I think is what it's called, or break bone fever. And it's it's a sickness that causes you to contort in such a violent ways that it snap, you, you end up snapping your own bones. And, uh, the wisdom doused her with all kinds of medicine and, but just, just didn't think Egwene would make it through the night. And, uh, Nynaeve stood over Egwene the entire night, holding her hand, wishing and praying and hoping that, that Egwene, Egwene would pull through. And the next morning, she said the, the, uh, the sickness couldn't hold out, but Egwene held out and, and Egwene was fine. Um. I don't really think there's much more with that with, with that story that I can recall, but it was it was a nice moment between the two of them. Uh, again, Nine Eve is probably my one of my favorite characters of this show so far. Uh, back in the White Tower, so Steppen uh, is feeling really depressed because his Aes Sedai, Corinna died, and you know, they're the Aes Sedai and the Warders are bonded. He uh, he's having trouble sleeping, so he goes to Nynaeve and asks her for a certain tea that she must have given him while they are on the road to help him sleep. He says every night he just lays there and uh, just as he's about to drift off, the pain stops. And she says, "Well, that's good." And he goes, "No, it's not good. I don't want the pain to stop. You know, because if the pain stops, that means that she's no longer with me." So she gives him the tea. There, there is a moment in the episode where there's a ritual with the with the warders where he takes Karenne's ring to like this this uh it's almost like a fire fountain that has molten like metal, like gold uh in it. And he, he tosses the ring into the molten gold and the ring, you know, melts. And it it makes me wonder, they don't say it, but I, I'm assuming this is what they use to forge the rings for the Aes Sedai. And so when one Aes Sedai dies, they put her ring back in. And so it's, you know, they're always uh connected. Uh, throughout the years and all that stuff, but uh, Lan goes to stay with Steppen for the night because uh, they had the the uh, the funeral. Well, that the ceremony, he had to dress all in right white and throw the ring away, and so they know that Stepan's going to have a hard night. So land goes to to hang out with them all night, and Stepan uh, mentions that he thinks that Alana will take over his bond, and he's like, I guess I guess that will be that will be fine, uh, but you know, she's got the two orders already and I've never been with a man before. And, uh, he goes, but, you know, try anything once. And land jokingly says, well, you don't even know if they want you to, uh, to be with them, you know, like they, you know, then they may not find you attractive basically. And, uh, we see, um, Steppen had taken the tea that, you know, the tea leaves that Nine Eve had given him. And he ends up putting it in Lan's drink, so that Lan ends up being, you know, being put to sleep. And then when Lan wakes up the next morning and realizes what happened and Stepan's not there, he he runs to a, a place in the White Tower where there are statues of warders and he finds that Stepan has has committed suicide. And so then the episode ends with the funeral for Stepan. And Lan has been chosen as the uh primary mourner. And they say it in such a way that I think that's what they called it. Let me let me look at the description again because I think the description actually got it right. Um, yeah, they call it the primary mourner, but uh, it sounds almost like it's it's actually something that is part of the funeral. That it's a a, a role that somebody has to play, and they have all these Aes Sedai and these warders standing around in a circle around Stepan's body, and they're all in white, and they start. There's like throat singers that are chanting. Then they all start pounding their chests rhythmically, which just with their right hand, just bang, bang, bang. And uh, Lan is kneeling next to the body of Steppen. He reaches out and he puts his hand on Steppen and he looks up and he sees, he makes eye contact with Moraine and he is feeling sadness. She's feeling sadness. They're both feeling each other's sadness. And there's almost this moment where he's like, this is, this is what's going to happen to me. You know, I can't let you die before I do. You know, this is this is I will die before you because I I don't want to be what Stepan became after Karenne died, and then he just starts he he just screams in anguish, and it I and I, I'm not I'm not just saying this, folks. Tear came to my eye, and Lan is is uh well we'll we'll talk about that in a minute, but it was it was a really it was a really hard episode to watch in a couple places with. Um, Egwene's forced, you know, scrub bath, uh, Perrin's torture, Lan, uh, breaking down at Steppen's funeral. It was, it had some tough moments in it, but all in all, it was a good episode. I think the, the series is moving along just fine. This was what episode five. So we've got six, seven, and eight left. Episode six will land on December 10th, and it's called The Flame of Tarvalin. Um, and yeah. I'm so far I'm in there the the more I watch and the more it changes the more it's different than the book the more I'm actually enjoying it you know as a fan of the books I think I said it before I, I I I think I'd be disappointed if I knew exactly what was going to happen in every single scene that you know it's it's it, shows like that are not fun so this show's really really uh, hitting all its marks for me and I'm sure it's because I'm a fan of the books that I'm enjoying the show so much um I don't know how people who have never read the books, I'm not really seeing a lot of reaction there about this show. This isn't, this doesn't seem to be popping up on all the nerd uh, sites and podcasts and stuff that I pay attention to. So I don't know how this is going. I don't know how this is being um, received. So hopefully it's being received well, because I really want them to finish this. But that's what happened in the episode. So how about we go full-on spoilers? We'll go to the next segment of our show in which I compare what happened in this episode to what we know from the books. All right, so there's just a few things I want to point out here. The main thing is the whole, everything that's going on with Matt. Uh, like I said in the last episode during the, 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 the big spoiler ending part, in the books, it's Rand who is the dragon. And I they, they have to be still planning on making that reveal that it's gonna be Rand. And and as a matter of fact, in the show where they when they show up to Tarvalon and Ma- and Rand sees that mountain and he goes, I, I, I feel like I've been there before. That's Dragon Mount. That is where when Luz Theron Kinslayer, Luz Theron Telamon, the, the, the dragon, when he went mad and he broke the world, that mountain was formed it's a it's a it's an old volcano and uh the prophecy says that the dragon re- reborn will be born on the uh in the snows of of dragon mount or on the foot of dragon mount or or on dragon mountain so in the books again these are big spoilers folks rand is an ielman uh loyal even says in the episode you know i've never met an Aielman, you know, or with regular clothes. And he's like, I'm not an Aielman, I'm from the two rivers. Oh, an man from the Two Rivers. And so Tam is not uh Rand's birth father. Uh the woman that he knew as his mother is not was not his birth mother. He was born of uh the Iel on the slopes of Dragon Mount and his parents, his his mother was what they refer to in in Iel as a spear maiden, because all the iel they're all fighters and she during the the uh the iel war she dies giving birth to him on the the slopes of dragon mount and tam who was fighting against the e- the iel during the iel war he comes across the baby and he takes the baby with him and that becomes and that's rand so that's why in the show he was like i've seen that mountain before and that's he 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 he's got a uh you know, his origins are on the slope of, of Dragon Mount. So that's that. Um, there weren't other I mean, there were some other big changes, but none that really uh matter in the grand scheme of things. Uh for example, there's a there's a city that they stop at on the way to Tarvalon called Camelon, and it's the capital of Andor. And Emmons Field is technically in the country of Andor, and Camelin is where the Queen of Andor. Uh, makes her home, and it's actually there that Rand and Matt go after Tom dies, and th- they go to this inn that Tom tells them to go to. It's where they meet Loyal. Uh, it's where the the Sedai come and bring uh, Logain through the streets of Camelin. and you know Matt or Rand ends up meeting the the Queen and all this stuff by accident, and and uh, so they just. They basically just kind of took most of that out and combined a lot of that with what was happening to, in Tarvalon Tarvalon and I'm I am perfectly fine with it again if the the series went the exact way the books are then I would be sorely disappointed because I already know what happens in the books this is way more fun I think it, like I like I compared it to watching the Walking Dead show last time it's it's like I know where they're going but they're they're getting there in a whole new way and i think that's much much more fun than knowing when they are where they're going and knowing how they get there. So uh that's i think that's really it as far as some of the comparisons between the book and and the show. Actually, let me just mention real quick because uh Matt at one point uh talks about Tom being dead and um you know in the book we we meet Tom right away like within the first couple chapters. And so at the mo- by the time um, because it is in the book where he goes up against a fade to allow Matt and Rand to leave, but I think it's in the city of Whitebridge where that happens. But when he dies, uh, it means a lot more because you have been following this character for most of the book. So to get him like in the in the back end of one episode to see him for maybe ten minutes in another episode. And then he dies. That, it didn't have the impact like it did in the books. It was a real punch in the guts in the books when he quote unquote dies. And and uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, oh yeah, um, Perrin and the wolves. So the reason why these wolves keep popping up is because in the book, as Egwene and Perrin, uh, before they encounter the Tuathawan, they encounter this dude named, uh, God, now I can't even remember his name, Elias... Machera, I think his name was, and he's just out alone in this open prairie land and they come across him and uh he, you know, he he decides he's going to take them, you know, he's going to guide them to tarvalon Uh but you learn really quick that he travels with wolves and he explains to them that he he can talk to wolves. It's something that hasn't been seen in the world in thousands of years. It's an old thing. The wolves, uh, had almost forgotten about it. Um, and he says, and the wolves say that he can do it too. And he points at Perrin and, and it's, it's after they travel with Elias for a while that he, uh, Perrin's eyes grow yellow and he, uh, he can talk to wolves. And in fact, they are captured by white cloaks in the first book and they are freed by Elias and the wolves. But during that, I mean, they're just kind of captured. They're not it's not the white cloaks are not like,, uh, we know who you are and we think you're evil." And they just just a couple of people out in the open prairie and they they capture them and they, they anytime they just catch people, they 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 try to find out if they're dark ones or not, if they're evil. Uh, but during their escape, the wolves are are attacking the white cloaks. and by this point, Perrin is actually, uh, he knows these wolves by their their names as far as what they call each other. It's like kind of a psychic communication. And One of the wolves is a, a wolf who has always dreamed of flying, and so as a cub would leap into the air as high as he could go uh, to try and fly, and so his name among the wolves became Hopper. And there's a moment where uh, a white cloak is about to strike down Perrin, and Hopper intercedes, and then the white cloak ends up killing Hopper. And Perrin has this axe with him. It's a, it's, you know, I mentioned that Perrin was not married in the book at this point, And he was an apprentice to the blacksmith who had, the apprentice had made, or the blacksmith had made an axe for a, uh, like a traveling, uh, wagon guard dude. And, uh, when he finished the axe, the, the guardsman wouldn't pay for it because he decided he wasn't going to pay, he didn't want to pay as much. So the blacksmith kept it. And then he gave it to Perrin when Perrin was leaving Emmons Field. And when Hopper is killed, Perrin just goes crazy. He just goes savage. He goes berserk. And he kills this white cloak. And then so for most of the rest of the series, and again, I've yet to finish it. I got two books left. The white cloaks are after Perrin for for killing one of their own. And then something else happens later that escalates the hatred between Perrin and the white cloaks. And anyway, it's a great story. And that's that this part in this episode was their way of starting that relationship between Perrin and the white cloaks, which if they continue, if they get to tell their eight or nine seasons, we're going to see that escalate quite a bit later on down the line. And I'm really looking forward to seeing that. So that's uh yeah, that's, that's what, uh, that's what happened in the episode compared to what we know in the books. And so I guess that means that's my episode folks. Uh, next week we'll get into episode six uh, flame of tarvalon. Until then, my name is Steven and I'm the streaming fool because otherwise I guess I'd sleep more. That does actually sound quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> that was dumb.